Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Brief Encounters. My name is Federico Varillas, and I'm a program attorney at the DC Bar. And today we're joined by Sarah Horwitz, who will be telling us a little bit about starting her own practice. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, Federico. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. We're excited to have you here. So um, I was reading your excellent blog posts on Above the Law, and I and I thought you had like a really interesting career. And so uh, I want to talk about your practice. What is your area of practice? First of all, let's tell the audience. Sure. So my areas are estate planning and adoption. I started out with estate planning with my practice and uh, brought on adoption, but the two go hand in hand because oftentimes when people are going through adoption, they often need to change their estate plan. So I found that the combination of the two has been working well. That is super interesting. I had never thought of them as practices that went hand in hand, but it makes sense. My dad, when I was a kid, he he did adoption law a lot too. So I, I remember that. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did you start right after law school? Because you used to do some interesting stuff before that as well. Sure. So my first job out of law school was clerking for a judge in Howard County. I clerked for Judge McCrone. And as part of my work there, I observed trials that were going on. And I always thought that I may want to be a trial attorney, a litigator. And I took trial advocacy in law school. So I thought that having that opportunity would be a great fit for starting out my career and give me some of the legwork to go in that direction. However, after the clerkship, I think that when people do clerkships, the thing that they're thinking about most is what will be my next job, because clerkships is usually just a temporary position. And so throughout the year, I was thinking about the type of position I wanted to apply for. And I ended up having two job offers that I was deciding between. One was going to be very litigation focused. I'd be in court almost every day. And then the other was for the government. And I always think about kind of the fork in the road at, at this time. And for me, the most important thing in my life, um, I had recently gotten married several years before and starting a family was always at the top of my mind. And I was thinking of, in addition to what would be the best fit professionally, I was thinking a lot about the best work-life balance for my family. And, you know, having not even been a mother, I was thinking about how would I be able to balance taking care of a family with my career? And so although I think that the litigation job was more in line with my interests, I was just thinking, how would I do that and be pregnant? How would I do that and take care of young children? So I chose the kind of less exciting job to me in a way, but more practical with the federal government. And I ended up going to the Food and Drug Administration. And initially I worked with the tobacco division and then ended up transferring to the Office of Legislation, which was actually a really interesting job. And I loved working there. But kind of, again, just to take a step back, when I started out at the tobacco job, I was full-time and Shortly after starting there, I um, had my first child. And after that point, I went back full-time after my maternity leave. And it was a good fit for me. I think, you know, after taking a four months off, I, I returned to work and I was able to perform my duties, although I was tired and, you know, balancing the demands of family were difficult, but it was workable. And then after I had my second child is when I switched to the Office of Legislation and I went back part-time at that point. I went back three days a week. And uh, having two children and part-time work also worked out really well at that stage for me. Um, and I really enjoyed the work and really enjoyed the balance that it gave me. 
And then I went and had a third child and I tried to return to the job at the Office of Legislation and I made it six months before I took a pivot and started my own law practice. So at that point, I was just thinking, I I guess my husband and I, at the end of every day, when I was working at the FDA after my maternity leave, we would have a little conference call as I was driving home and be like, okay, what's the game plan for tonight? Who's going to cook dinner? Who's going to get this kid? Who's going to get that kid? And it, it was just like too much. I started talking every night, basically, about starting my own law practice. And it was sort of something that had always been in the back of my mind. Um, my family is a family of several lawyers. My grandfather is an attorney and he has his own practice. My uncle is an attorney. He has a, his own practice. My mother is an attorney. And although not practicing, she worked for her father's practice for a while when we were young. So it was something I had always thought about. And I started doing research and realized I was not the first mother to have this idea. There were all of these mothers out there that had pivoted to start their own practice um, with motherhood as an impetus, which I thought was really interesting. And I just started to explore that more and more and realized that like I was not the first person to think of this idea, not the first person to go down this road. I think that the interesting thing is that, right, you have to do a transition. My, my wife and I, we also end up having that kind of like debrief planning on the car, you know, like she's driving back from somewhere and I'm on the phone with her talking. What I thought is interesting is you shifted to your own private practice after working in the government. Did you have any plans? Have you like, how did you take that first step? It's a really good question. I feel like taking the first step is the hardest part of starting your own practice. I think that everything else can kind of follow after that, but I think jumping off a cliff is the hardest thing. And that's a really good question. I didn't have any clients at all when starting my own practice. I was like, okay, this is kind of a crazy idea. But, you know, just thinking about my life, you know, I think that being a stay-at-home parent is something that's like very, very admirable to me, um, but something that just wasn't for me. I wanted to be able to be with my kids when I wanted to be with them, but it was also important to me to have a career for many reasons, for my own intellectual satisfaction, for financial reasons. But when I started my own law practice, the way that I got my first client is by advertising on these parent listservs. So I became a part of this like parent online community as I started my own parenthood journey. I joined these listservs in our neighborhood to find a nanny and to sell an extra stroller that we had and that sort of thing. So it was around New Year's and I had seen another attorney that had started her practice you know, many years before I did advertise about a New Year's estate planning special. So I sent an email to several parent listservs I was a part of and didn't really know if I would receive any response at all and wasn't necessarily prepared for the response that I received, but I ended up getting 60 inquiries from that email that I sent and then 30 clients. So that was kind of the first batch of my practice. And then it kind of grew from there. I've again gone to those listservs once or twice more throughout the past three and a half years to get another round of clients. But at this point, I haven't advertised in a very long time. I think that my network, in addition to past client referrals, kind of makes it a self-sustaining beast at this point, for better or for worse. And so that's the estate planning side of my practice. I was going to ask you how, how you brought in the adoption law part of it. Yeah, that's a good question. So being, yeah. when, I, when I first started my own my practice, I was thinking about the areas that I would like to get into. And I was thinking really carefully about this because 
as I mentioned before, I chose certain career path for myself because of my work-life balance. So I didn't want to choose an area that would be too time bound sensitive, as in, I didn't want to have to have certain things that I had to do at a certain time. So for estate planning, you can meet with clients whenever works for your schedule, whenever works for their schedule, it's very flexible. But adoption was just always something that I was drawn towards because I have four kids and just family is a passion of mine. Children are a passion of mine. I just thought it would be really fulfilling to enable families to adopt children and grow and complete their families in that way. So when I first left the federal government, I had a networking meeting with a really prominent adoption attorney in the DMV area and just had a coffee with her. And, uh, you know, she gave me some books and tips about some books to read to get into it, but there weren't any concrete plans. And then one day, a couple of years later, somebody emailed me out of the blue asking for a quote for second parent adoption. So I had never done one before and didn't know how to do it, but went back to the mentor and said, you know, I have a client who's interested in hiring me. Would you mentor me on adoption law? And she agreed to, um, which has been amazing for me. And she has really, you know, been a big help. I think adoption is something that is very rule-based and there's a lot of intricacies in the law. And, you know, she's really helped me to develop practice in that. And not only that, but she represents an adoption agency in the area. And because she represents the adoption agency, she's conflicted out of representing the adoptive parents. So I now have this connection with an adoption agency and they refer me clients that are completing their adoption, which has been a really great niche for me. That is really interesting. And I one of the things you mentioned in, in one of your blogs is that the adoption process requires a hearing with a judge. Tell us about that and in this day and age of pandemic. Sure. So I think one of the reasons that I was a little bit hesitant about going the adoption route was because it requires a hearing and just thinking about all of the steps that I'd have to take in my life. So I have four young children ranging in age between one and a half and eight. And in terms of my daily duties with my children, the tasks that I do with them are just integrated throughout the day. I have to take them places and pick them up from places and coordinate their logistics. And of course, fortunately, I have a very supportive spouse who is very involved and also has a flexible schedule who's able to jump in and help. And of course, we can hire hired help, but you know, every person needs to find what works for them. And for me, like I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there to meet them at the end of the day when the bus arrived back in the day when buses were a thing before COVID. But um, for me, I was nervous about having a hearing scheduled at a certain time where you have to appear before a judge and just the time commitment that, that would take for my family and the coordination that I'd have to go through in order to make that work for my life. But the interesting thing through COVID is that in a system that was very traditional and very in-person, all of a sudden had to shift to virtual. And the courts, you know, different courts in different jurisdictions acted in different ways. But I think that the D.C. courts acted swiftly in creating a virtual system. And actually, the first adoption hearing I had, all of the paperwork was filed right before COVID hit. But then everything got delayed because the courts were closed for a while and then had to reopen. But the long with the short of it is that the first hearing I ever did was on the phone and the second one was virtual. And it was really interesting because it was something that I was sort of not dreading. I was very excited to kind of go in person and have my first court appearance and 
you know, adoption is like a really happy moment in families' lives. And I was really excited to be a part of that. But just the logistics kind of made me nervous and it would have been a big deal for me. But with COVID, I literally just went into my bedroom. I was wearing pajama bottoms with a suit on top. I went on for 10 minutes, locked my door, and then I was able to represent the client successfully and then go back down and help my kids with virtual school and pick up my other kid from daycare. So I think that the pivot to virtual has really been a big help for moms who, instead of, you know, rearranging my whole day to drive down to DC, park, get dressed up, meet the clients before hearing, go into the judge, you know, then drive all the way back, that would have been half of a day. Yeah, it sounds like it, it is a great shift for, for a working parent. And so, uh, like, do you want this to continue? Maybe not the pandemic, but the <laughs> remote well, work? Well, I'm hoping that the courts will kind of, when COVID is over and things go back to normal, I'm hoping that we can take the good parts and incorporate them into our daily lives. I think that in a lot of ways, it's more convenient to be able to dial in if necessary. And I'm sure a lot of my clients will want to go back to having their in-person ceremony with the judge. I think that's a really meaningful experience. But I think that, you know, in other ways, you know, these are parents of oftentimes babies who are on schedules and just having to, you know, for the adoptive parents, having to drive down to the court with their baby might be really hard for them. So maybe it could be an option for parents to decide whether they want to have an in-person or a virtual, but at least having virtual as an option, I think expands the accessibility to people who have very busy lives and need to be taking care of other things, not just their professional pursuits, but their family as well. Yeah, it's a new world. Well, before we go away, I, I thought it makes sense to ask you about your family and, and just tell us about your family. You know. Sure. So um, I'm married to my college sweetheart. We uh, met in undergrad and we have four children, uh, Maya, Zachary, Aiden, and Lily. And uh, we live in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And um, we've been hunkering down throughout COVID during this time. But I think like many people since now, we've been into COVID for almost a year. We're adjusting to our new normal. And our kids are all growing and learning in whatever ways they can now. We just had a snow day the past couple of days. We've been doing a lot of sledding and good quality family activities. But it's really been a pleasure and an honor to be able to be with my kids, not just through COVID, but even before that, and just to experience the big and the little moments with them. And I think that having my own law practice really made that possible in a way that it wouldn't when I was working for someone else and needed to follow someone else's schedule. So you can really set your own schedule. Yes. So, you know, since I have my own practice and I'm the boss, I can do whatever I want. You know, I think that it took a really long time to figure out what hours worked for me and what works for my life. And, you know, I think that work-life balance is something that's constantly in evolution. It's constantly something where you need to re-examine where you are at the moment and think, you know, how is my life working for me? And I think that, you know, throughout the pandemic and even before that, you know, I was able to think about like how many hours a day do I want to work? I think that I'm bad at sticking to that sometimes, but um, it's really important as a parent people always say this, but to put on your oxygen mask first. And I think that in when I was working in a traditional job, I really didn't have time to do some of those basic things like eat and exercise. So now I center my day around those tasks so that I can also take care of myself at the same time as taking care of my family. And then in terms of my 
client work and my professional work, I can carve that out at a time that works for me. And 99% of the time that works for clients. Um, at the beginning, I used to, when I was just starting out, I would take night meetings and maybe meet with someone on a weekend. But now that I've been in it for a couple of years, I don't need to do that anymore. And that's okay. And I'm allowed to set my own hours and my own boundaries. And I think that that's healthy and it's worked for people. I mean, I usually don't work on Friday mornings and just had a client saying, can you do a Friday morning? And I said, okay. But usually, you know, I try to stick to the times that I've set aside for my work. That is fantastic. I am. It's a great inspiration for people who want to, uh, to do this. We are often hear from members who want to start their own practice or who don't know what to do to take that first step. And you really have like shown for the first time for me, really, I, to be honest, like a clear path into getting into a, a solo practice and how you did it is really interesting and, and great. So I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much you uh, for joining for us today. Me. And that is it for today's Brief Encounters. So join us again next time. 